This is the Tribal Malfunctions Podcast. Tribal Malfunctions is a thrilling cyberpunk story of gangs, guns, greed, and the power of independent trucking set in 22nd century Boston. I am your host and narrator, Chang Terhune. Now join me please as we enter the strange world of Tribal Malfunctions. Hey, 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 you are tuned in to Travel Malfunctions, a podcast of my story and my novel, Travel Malfunctions, a cyberpunk novel set in 22nd century Boston, wherein we encounter the weird, wide, wonderful world of girls, gangs, guns, weird drugs, and greed, and the power of independent trucking. Not really all that, but it sounds pretty sexy. A lot of other things going on in it, too. Um... Uh, this is episode 16B, which is uh, episode six, which is chapter 16 of the book, split into two because it's uh, it's a big one. It's a long chapter, so I just cut it in half. So um, yeah, if you're just tuning in now, you just fell upon this. Um, go back to episode one and kick it. And uh, if you're not, uh, let's get ready to rock and roll on into it. Okay, tribal malfunctions up and at him. Tribal Malfunctions, Episode 16B, Denials and Reprisals. Two nights later, after the garage had closed and everyone else left, Ara stood by Yukikor 4291's rear with Wendell by his side. The two men crammed into Wendell's repair bay. Yuki's call was patched into Aris and Wendell's headsets. So this is it, huh? said Aris. You're a little sleep bird, said Wendell. Cozy. Yeah? said Yuki. What do you think? I think it looks like a fucking coffin, said Aris. Wendell chuckled. Her timing was perfect. She'd prepped the hauler for weeks without telling Aris about it, while the hauler sat waiting at the warehouse between runs. Yuki programmed a stop into Yuki Core 4291's route right after Aris let her know he got the goods from Blindside. It was scheduled to go to Free Canada, then down the East Coast, so it had to stop at the Holy Roller. When it came in, they opened the hauler's back to find a crude, false compartment Yuki built into the left-hand wall just inside the door. This and the hauler's present cargo were what the men had trouble with. 
Let me get this straight, said Aris. I'm supposed to slide into this tiny-ass space and ride into the Wormway alongside enough explosives to open a hole in the Earth? Doubt it's that much, said Yuki. Wendell laughed. But it is a lot. The manifest says it's uh, drums of borage oil. <laughs> As if this wasn't fucking stupid enough, said Aris. The narrow compartment was barely two feet high, three feet wide, and six feet long. He'd have to ride lying sideways while wearing the suit, holding the guns alongside. There was barely enough room for him, let alone the gear. You couldn't make it any smaller? Sorry I didn't take your measurements, your royal pettiness, said Yuki. Wendell stifled a laugh when Aris glared at him. I had to guess. Anything bigger and someone would tip off Cho about it. It barely passed inspection anyway. Okay, fine, said Aris. He stripped while Wendell checked the hauler's memory systems were sealed and secure. Once Aris was in the suit, Wendell checked it one final time. All set, he said. Helmet up and you're good to go. Aris slipped the helmet on, then slid the faceplate down. You ready, hero? Ready, Yuki. The AI's cheerful voice grated on Aris. Wow, we're going to have an adventure, Mr. A. Yes, we are, said Aris. You're going to take good care of him, right, Hero? said Wendell. You bet, Mr. Wendell, said Hero. Safe and sound, there and back. Okay, said Yuki. Any longer, someone's going to get suspicious. Wendell helped Aris in. He twisted until he lay on his side, arms crossed over his chest like a mummy he'd seen in a museum as a boy. The pistol was holstered on his left hip, while the machine gun was slung across his chest by a strap. His head poked out the end until Wendell tapped his helmet. Then Aris tucked it in. After Wendell gently closed the door on him, Aris was momentarily in darkness. How you doing, boss? Said Wendell in Aris's earpiece. Are we there yet? Said Aris. Wendell laughed. <laughs> you sound like my kids, he said. We're not even gone, Mr. A. Hero laughed. I'm not sure I'm going to like this, said Aris. Oh, we'll have fun. I can sing you songs and tell you stories if you want. Thanks, Hero, said Aris. You're all clear, man, said Wendell. Signing off. I'm going to guide Hero out to the surface way. Okay. See you on the other side, said Aris. He felt a clunk as the hauler left the bay while Wendell let it out. Never been inside during one of these trips, so this will be new for me, said Yuki. You're not exactly inside, are you, said Aris. I'm the only idiot in here. You know what I mean, said Yuki. Well, next time you can ride in the fucking can, said Aris. Mr. A said a bad word, Yuki, said Hero. Sorry, Hero. You're doing this so there is no next time, asshole, said Yuki. Aris laughed. Yuki said a bad word, Mr. A, whispered Hero. Sorry, Hero, said Yuki. Why don't you sing to Mr. A so he can relax, okay? Sure, said Hero. The AI began to sing in a clear, delicate voice. Aris didn't understand the words, but found it pretty. It reminded him of Dina, whom he'd spoken with earlier that morning. Menea and the kids were having fun in Armenia and missed him. He missed them too. Of course now, sealed in a metal box on a hauler carrying explosives. He wished he'd gone along with them, but he'd be bored there, and he knew it. How's everything going there? Menea had asked him. Fine, he said. Need me to bring anything over? She asked. No thanks, Aris said. I'm good. In the hauler, Aris followed the progress via his hood. Out of the garage's yard, down Medford Avenue, then left into the entrance ramp. 
After a five-minute wait while Wormway's security system checked its route, Yuki Corps 4291 began its descent into the Wormway. The suit switched to the tanks on his back and calculated his airtime. Eight hours. More than enough. Here we go, Mr. A, said Hero. Woo! The hauler dipped downward, moving at an increasing speed. Hero began to sing another song. Hero's got a dedicated link to the Wormway's network. Not sure what kind of traffic they monitor down there. If it's data or communications, or if they only look at what haulers say to each other. So I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to... So I'm out, said Yuki. Soon as you... Out. You holler, right? Uh, you're breaking up, said Ars. Okay, then, just... Her voice disappeared in a sheet of static and hiss. Aris cut the line and listened to Hero's voice. A few minutes later, the AI was starting another song when its voice faltered. You okay, Hero? said Aris. Keep singing. That sounded good. Okay, thanks. I will, Mr. A, said Hero. I just have to... to... When he said nothing more, Aris checked the comm lines, but they were dead. He checked the hauler's status. Hero was online, but higher functions and human interfacing was offline. He cursed, thinking he should have told Yuki to give him some kind of feed on Hero's neural processes instead of just a status readout. Yuki Core 4291 sped up while Hero sang, but when he stopped, it began slowing down. Maglev transport meant they should always come to a smooth stop. Then there was a shifting sense of Yuki Core 4291 moving laterally. After a pause, Aris felt the hauler come to a jerky, full stop. In the tight space, he gripped his rifle and listened, hearing only his breath. After ten minutes, Aris crawled from his hiding space, then froze when he felt a heavy thud. The hauler's door was being opened from outside. Aris clutched the rifle, listening for almost fifteen minutes as the floor shook in an arrhythmic pattern. Heavy bang, long rumble, short high rumble, light bang, then a variation on the pattern. When it finally stopped, he waited another two minutes before opening the hatch a couple inches. The red light that crept in made it difficult to decipher what he saw until he switched the HUD to infrared. Then a single track stretched out into darkness where evenly spaced red lights blinked like sleepy pulsars. Aras realized that in the garage, he'd spent so much time focusing on quick and efficient hollow repairs that he'd forgotten how one-way tunnels were actually laid out. Now he wished he'd packed plans with him or gotten that data link to Yuki. He racked his brain until he remembered the posters he'd hung in the garage that showed tunnel cross-sections. Every tunnel was divided into smaller tunnels sheathed within the largest. So if he remembered the diagrams correctly, the main tubes of the wormway were split into a lower tunnel with two tracks, then a kind of crawl space for electrical and coolant conduits in between another two-track tunnel and a smaller maintenance tunnel on the top. Single track meant the hauler was parked in the emergency, a maintenance area in a capillary tunnel off the main wormway. These smaller capillaries had less track and a slightly different arrangement. The emergency track hugged the bottom portion, utilities ran above that, then the twin tracks in the middle, and a single maintenance track on top of that. Less traffic meant less area needed for travel. Thus, Yukikore 4291 had stopped either in the lower emergency track or the upper maintenance track. But without any signs or markings, he couldn't tell where he was. Judging by an upward curvature of the walls, he was probably on the lower emergency track. A wide catwalk ran beside the hauler down the tunnel's length, 
and a narrower metal platform extended from a gap in the railing behind the hauler like a metallic yellow tongue. This was how the hauler was unloaded. Where are the explosives, Aris thought. Taking a quick glance around, Aris pulled himself out of the hidey hole, overly conscious of his breathing. He took one look at the hauler's empty bay, then snuck onto the platform, clutching his rifle. Access tunnels ran either parallel or close to the main wormway tunnels. This single track here allowed maintenance, emergency, and disabled vehicles to be moved off the main tracks out of the tunnels to keep them clear. One small accident or a single disabled hauler could bring the entire eastern corridor to a standstill. Though the wormway had a very low accident rate, and these access tunnels were rarely used, they nonetheless had to be kept fully operational according to NTSB regulations. Humans needed easy access either from a maglev car or from outside. Aris knew there must be a nearby access shaft leading to the maintenance shaft above. Crouching on the catwalk, he peered down through a gap where he saw lights moving under the hauler. While it was hard to tell what they were doing, he knew it had to do with the tampering of the hauler's brain. He saw no humans, so Aris assumed these were robots at work. Trying to get a better view, Aris squinted at the tunnel's floor. The space was packed with oblong packages bearing bright Asian military markings. Aris recognized them from the crates he'd seen in Yukikor 4291 before. Explosives. There were at least 20 to 30 feet carpeting the bottom of the tunnel. Wires ran from each, neatly gathered and precisely taped together with care. Looking up, he saw more overhead. It didn't take an engineer to realize detonating these would implode the emergency tunnel, cutting off access to the wormway, creating a shutdown that could have a worldwide impact on the entire system. Aris shuddered, then watched as Yukikor 4291's door closed. With a gentle thrum under his feet, Yukikor 4291 glided off into the darkness, leaving him stuck there on the platform a mile below the surface and many miles from Holy Roller Garage. He swore and ducked back into the recess when the robots climbed out of the track bed. Later, he'd be astounded he remembered to activate his shade's recording functions to capture it all. They moved like spindly, white metallic insects. In addition to four legs and arms, each had small maglev assemblies on their backs. Lacking a discernible head, the robots instead had sensory apparatus at either end of their central bodies. They might be able to see, but Aris was certain they combined sonar and infrared to navigate the darkness. Sonar would help detect faults and fractures in the tunnels and rails. Infrared could pierce the darkness when they needed to discern shape and form. Repairs were made with the welding tools on each arm, plus a multi-tool and two hand-like appendages with long, multi-jointed digits. Aris stayed still, knowing if they detected movement, they'd investigate, then send out an alert to the watch supervisor, who could be one of Cho's men. They continued to work unaware of his presence. Some handled the explosives, taking them from a small, neat pile before laying them out like bricks on a path. Others wired these in, then arranged the wires into the neat little strands and bundles Aris saw before. As he watched, he noticed each one bore a cartoon worm speeding through a tunnel wearing goggles on their sides. Either they were Cho's, or his allies' robots disguised to look like wormway maintenance units, or they actually were wormway robots, 
hacked to perform specific tasks, such as unload explosives and line the tunnels with them. With the last explosive pack in place, the robots clambered delicately around them, then flipped over and straddled the maglev track. They carefully lowered themselves down, then once seated on the track, folded their legs neatly into their bodies before scooting off into the darkness. Aris watched as all eight did this, disappearing in the direction he came from. He could only assume they had a station somewhere nearby or were off to someplace else to work. There it is, Ara said aloud. All the friggin' proof you need. Perhaps Yuki could leak the captured footage to GKN and pressure Cho to stop, possibly freeing her family. If Aris got out. With his ride gone, Aras knew he had a long journey ahead of him. He was somewhere under Boston with at least one kilometer of earth between him and the surface. The alcove behind him held the ladder. Aras moved towards it and looked up the rungs. The space above was dark, but for some dim light. He began climbing, wishing he could do it with one hand on the rifle in case he encountered something or someone. Aras carefully poked his head up at the next level. He was in another small alcove along the capillary's midsection, where dual tracks ran. Climbing out, he peered over the platform at the tunnel bed to find it lined with more explosives, stretching for 30 to 50 feet in either direction. Beyond the access ramp near his garage and the Ortiz building, he knew little about emergency access in or out of the wormway. He climbed another ladder to the level, hoping he'd find access to the surface. Aris cursed himself for letting this part of the hallway business become so foreign to him. Fifteen years, and he'd done little to learn the rest of the system. Then again, when did you expect to find yourself down in one of these fucking tunnels, he said aloud, trying to be rational. If humans came down to perform maintenance, the unions made sure robots didn't do it all. Then they had to get in and out, right? Aris hoped they didn't do it all by maglev car. He was halfway into the upper maintenance shaft when hands grabbed under his armpits and pulled him off the ladder. He was thrown onto the platform, banging against the railing. His pistol fell from his holster, clattering against the maglev rail with a blinding shower of sparks. Aris gripped his rifle as he rolled on his back and aimed at his attackers. A shadow flickered in the corner of his eye as the rifle was kicked from his hands. Another kick to his head rattled his skull back and forth inside like a nut in a shell. More hands flipped him to his belly, pushing it to the platform. As his arms were pinned behind him, more hands patted down his suit pockets, pulling out the ammunition and supplies he'd brought. He was pulled up by his wrists so hard, Aris thought his shoulder would be torn from the socket. Aris tried to kick free, then a kick to his ankle knocked his feet out from underneath him. On his knees, his more hands grabbed his legs, lashing them together. Now hogtied, Aris was carried along the platform face down, unable to lift his head with his shoulders pinned together. Deck plating rushed by him in a dizzying pattern. Whenever he tried to move, he was struck between his shoulder blades until he went limp. His captors stopped and waited. Aris squirmed to see they were standing inside an airlock. He counted four pairs of black tactical boots and what looked like anti-reflective soft armor clad legs. The airlock cycled, lights flashing red, green, then solid white. He swore as he went blind until his hood and shades adjusted to the light. When the doors opened, they tossed him in before them. Aris landed hard, cracking the faceplate. 
His HUD registered this with a blinking red triangle and advised immediate repairs. He rolled around to right himself, but received blows every time he came close. Finally, he gave up and lay still. Aris took in the room, listening to his ragged breathing and the suit's warning ping. It was a drab gray with lockers and benches on either side. At the far end was a table with three stark metal chairs. Safety posters and notices with Wormway and NTSB logos hung from a bulletin board next to a flat screen displaying a technical diagram. A metal door festooned with warning signs stood next to the table. His captors arranged themselves in a semicircle around him. They were shapeless black things that immediately reminded Aris of a ghost story his father once told him. His grandmother worked late nights at a factory in Bagyao. One night, she fell asleep at the bus stop after work and awoke to see a bus approaching. She climbed aboard and drowsily took a seat. After a while, she roused and began to notice something about the other passengers. Some were ghastly pale with sores on their faces or rotting flesh. Others were like normal people, but momentarily became black and shapeless like smoke in human form. Ars' father said his grandmother never rode the bus again after that. His captors stood with a military readiness not unlike heavy boys on a corner. Despite the shimmering, vague outline, he could discern a form underneath the black, smoky cloud. Their armor bore no insignias. Joints were padded with thicker armor, as were their chest and boots, while their helmets were opaque obsidian. Each held rifles similar to what Aras had been carrying, but far deadlier looking. Whoever they were, his captors were much more in their element than he. Suddenly, the black ghost straightened up to attention. Another entered the room, shorter and stockier, and gestured at them. The rest stood at ease. When the new black ghost turned to face him, Aras saw a silver triangle on their helmet's chin. Aras took this to mean that was the leader. They slung a machine gun around their back, then knelt down before Aras. After roughly pulling at his suit while examining him, they tugged at the helmet's release buttons under his ears. His suit protested slightly before the helmet gave way, as Aras' ears popped. With little care for his face, the lead ghost pulled his helmet off, then flung it aside. They lifted his chin and held it for a second before letting go. Aras' head banged on the floor. The lead ghost shook their head and looked back up at the others. One shrugged, another raised palms briefly. Aras assumed closed communication was going on between them. When the leader looked back at him, Aras heard a single muffled, fuck, from inside their black helmet. Fuck you too, said Aras. Who the fuck are you fucking clowns? The leader undid their helmet and removed it. Aras stared into the woman's face, then whispered his own little fuck in response to the woman glaring down at him. Aristotle Daniel Arroyo Aguilar, said Anna Maria. You'd better tell me what the fuck you're doing down here and fast.
Okay, there you go. There you have it. Um, real short episode, I understand. And uh, hey, I'm sorry for that, but you know what? Uh, I'll throw a little something else on here. Um, and yeah, there you have it. Um, episode 16B. Oh my gosh, little family reunion down in the wormway. What the heck's happening? What's going on? What's she doing there? What are they? What are they? Trust me, it's all going to come together in next next week's episode. <laughs> now you can tell a lot of editing goes into these. Next week's episode, uh, episode 17, Travel Malfunctions. Hope to see you there. Adios and namaste.